Well, I got to tell you today that I have a number of doubts about Christianity. I made a list of some of my doubts, some of the things that give me anxiety, struggle, things that I can't quite make sense of. Here's some of my doubts about Christianity. Everything has a beginning, but where did God come from? Why does God allow so many children to suffer in such horrible ways? Why are so many people who want children unable to get pregnant, and so many people who don't want children easily get pregnant? Why didn't Jesus reveal himself to more people after his resurrection? Seems like he just shows up to a small group. Why not more? Why did God scramble the languages at Babel when now language is a massive barrier for people coming to faith through missions? Here's another one. If Christians truly have the Holy Spirit, why has there been so much injustice and corruption perpetuated by Christians? Now, I know in... uh, preacher school, they tell you to start with a joke, and I didn't. We went deep into the pool fast. Those are some of my doubts. That's not an exhaustive list, but it's a real list. Those are things that have kept me up at night, and they're things that I don't really have great answers to. I have okay answers, and actually, I'm not going to answer them today, so if I just raise them, you're like, I never even thought about that, and now you're going to just leave me hanging. Yeah. If you want to, I'll be up in the front right after the service. I'd be happy to give you my best kind of explanation for how I try to make sense of those things. But those are some of my doubts about Christianity. What are yours? All right, we're going to pass the microphone. Start it, no. (laughs) You have doubts about Christianity, don't you? Don't you have things that you go, I don't get it. Or I don't like it. I can't quite make sense of it. I can maybe answer it, maybe not. But what do we do? Well, today, in this passage, as we near the end of the Gospel of John, we see a case study in doubts. One of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, people call him Doubting Thomas, has some doubts. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the uh, and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. How do we understand doubts? How do we feel about doubts? How do we process doubts? Today, I'm not going to give you an answer to all the things that you might have doubts about. But what I want to do from this text is to show us how to deal with our doubts. I think this passage actually shows us eight considerations that we should have in mind as we think about, as we process, as we try to make sense of our doubts. It's not unique to have doubts. You have doubts about Christianity just like everyone else. The question is not, do we have doubts? The question is, what do we do with the doubts we have? And that's what we want to try to look at and address today. So let's pray. Let's ask God's help, and then we'll dive into this passage. Father, um, We come to you because even in the midst of our doubts, we believe that you 
are the one that has answers. And more than just that you have answers that might satisfy us, we believe that your heart is good. We believe you care for us. We believe you demonstrated it by sending Jesus to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. And so God, I pray that you would give us insight today from this passage about how to deal with our doubts, how to deal with the times when we're struggling to believe who you are and what you're about. God, would you just tenderly care for us today? Through this text, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how to deal with doubts. Eight considerations. Here's the first one from verse 24 is that doubts don't define you. Doubts don't define you. In verse 24, we're uh, reintroduced to Thomas. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, uh, we hear Thomas, and like I already said, people refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas. And it makes me wonder if there are some nicknames that the person with the nickname would rather leave behind. Uh, When I uh, played baseball at University of Illinois, my coach was a guy in his 60s uh, named Richard Itch Jones. Everyone called him Itch or Itchy uh, because when he was nine years old, he broke his arm and apparently the cast made him itch his arm. And I just used to think, why are we calling this 60-year-old man Itchy? Like, leave it behind, man. Like, I don't... I don't need to hear that story, right? He, he embraced, he liked that nickname, apparently. Um, I have to think that maybe uh, Thomas, it, I, I wonder when the Doubting Thomas story emerged. You know, church history tells us eventually Thomas went to India, and uh, perhaps Thomas was even uh, dead by the time that this story was written in the probably late 90s AD, hopefully. But if, if he knew about the, the title, I think he'd be like, guys, there's more to me than that moment. And we actually learn about one of the moments that there's more to Thomas earlier in this gospel. In John chapter 11, here's what it says. It says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they, that's the disciples, thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So here's what you see about Thomas is that Thomas is actually more courageous than all the rest of the disciples. Lazarus has died. Lazarus has not fallen asleep. He's saying, hey, we're going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And all the other disciples, not only do they not understand what Jesus uh, was meaning, but they don't have the courage to say, hey, let's go. But Thomas says, hey, you know what? We're going to go raise him from the dead. And when we go raise him from the dead, that's going to be a huge problem. People are going to have a big problem with that, which is amazing in itself. A bunch of people saw Lazarus rise from the dead, and the next verse says, many therefore believed. Right? Some of you are like, well, I'd believe in Christianity if I saw a resurrection. Would you? They didn't. And so here you could say that Thomas is actually insightful Thomas or courageous Thomas. He's saying, listen, guys, let's buckle up. Here comes the suffering. We're not running away from it. Let's go to it. And I think this is just a a lesson that doubts don't define you. It's okay to doubt, and it's okay even to be in a prolonged season of doubt. But let me tell you, don't let it be your identity. Don't don't adopt a, a mentality that says, I'm always doubting. You don't have to do that. Doubts don't 
define you. That's the first consideration. The second is this. Number two, doubts often emerge where things don't make sense. Verse 25, so the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. Uh, Thomas wasn't there uh, when Jesus had appeared to the other disciples in the passage just before. Uh, That's what Seth talked about last week. Jesus shows up. uh, They're there. They're scared. They're afraid. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds and he shows them his side. He moves toward them. Well, Thomas wasn't in the room when this happened. And so they all tell him, hey, we've seen the Lord. And uh, Thomas is like, uh, really? Because here's what I know. People don't rise from the dead. Right? And you have to just remember this. Even though Jesus had told his disciples over and over that he was going to die and that he was going to rise, none of them expected it. Like, listen, no one was outside the tomb on that first Easter morning going, 10, 9, 8, right? They didn't expect it. One pastor said, nobody expected nobody. No one was looking for it, right? And so, and so here's the thing. Thomas is going, wait, 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 people don't rise from the dead. So this is not like, well, Thomas, how how could you possibly have that doubt? No. Doubts emerge where things don't make sense. We've seen the Lord, uh, I don't know about that. Right? You don't doubt the things that are clear. You don't doubt the things that are obvious. You don't doubt the things that make total sense. Our doubts often intersect with things you go, that doesn't make sense. Okay, God, everything has a beginning, but God has no beginning. Ah, how does that work? That doesn't make sense. Okay, I know God's good, but there's all these things that happen to to kids. That doesn't make sense. I know that missions would thrive if everyone could understand the gospel in their language, but God scattered the language. Ah, That doesn't, on the surface, make sense. So listen, you're not crazy for having doubts. You have doubts because not everything makes sense right away. And so there's no problem with having doubts about what doesn't make sense. Here's what, here's what the problem is, is imagining that if it doesn't make sense, it can't be true. Of course you have doubts when it doesn't make sense. But if you think, unless it makes sense to me, it can't be true, well, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to you. They don't make sense to me. I mean, like, any of you ready to tell me how like a satellite operates? Doesn't make sense. That doesn't mean it doesn't operate. Right? So, so it's okay to have doubts, but let's just be careful about saying, if it doesn't make sense to me, it can't possibly be true. Here's the third consideration, is that doubts aren't always resolved quickly, and that's by God's design. This is wild. In verse uh, 26, after, G- after Thomas has said, I got to see the wounds or I'll never believe. Here's what it says. Look at the b- first three words of verse 26. Eight days later. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. This is just like before and said, peace be with you. What? Eight days later? Jesus just left him hanging for eight days. Like, what was Jesus doing during that time? Fishing? Catching up on his rest? Going, man, that crucifixion took a lot out of me. 
I don't know. But eight days, he lets Thomas sit there. Eight days, he lets him feel this doubt. You have to think that during these eight days, Thomas and the other disciples are kind of reasoning, and they're saying, dude, what do you think, we're all crazy? Like, we, we really did see him. I don't know, right? And, they, and so he lets him sit in this tension. He lets him sit in this unresolved place for an uncomfortably long time. Is that where you are? Lord, I have these doubts. I have these questions. I have this, these things that don't make sense. I have these things that people have told me forever, and now I just don't know if I believe them the same way anymore. God, God, where are you? God, show up. And you feel like those prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and no, no, no answer's coming, and no help's coming. And you go, well, clearly God doesn't care about me. And I just want to encourage you, God's purpose is not always to resolve our doubts quickly. One pastor said something along the lines of, if there's, a, if there's a God who's big and transcendent enough to be mad at because he doesn't do things the way you want him to do, then you also have a God who's big and transcendent enough to have good reasons for not doing them the way you would do it. And it stinks to wait. It stinks to be in a dark night of the soul. It stinks to feel like everything you thought was a firm foundation in your life is upended. That, that's a, that stinks. But hang in there. Keep waiting. Keep trusting. Keep leaning in. Because doubts aren't always resolved quickly. Number four, this one is just wildly encouraging to me, is that doubts aren't despised by Jesus. So, we must take them to Jesus. Look at verse 27. Jesus shows up. He says, peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is wild. Jesus is not even waiting for Thomas to say, hey, Jesus, I've had, you know, eight days here. I've had some questions. Jesus seems, the way John writes it, to volunteer to Thomas to, to say, hey, I know you said you wouldn't believe unless this, well, do it. Here you go. Jesus doesn't despise Thomas doubts. There was a moment in our trip uh, to Turkey where uh, Arnold Reese, who's one of our, uh, he's our high school pastor, um, we were sitting there with one of the leaders from one of the Turkish churches, and, and um, he was, I don't know, somehow the conversation turned, we were talking about the Black Sea, and uh, we'd never been to the Black Sea, and so... Um, you know, Arnold asked this guy, he goes, hey, are there waves in the Black Sea? And the guy goes, this is literally what he said, it's an ocean. <laughs> and what I heard was, it's an ocean, you stupid idiot. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounded like. Like, it's a, it's a sea. What do you mean are there waves? It's an ocean, idiot. I mean, that's what it sounded like. And uh, so actually, uh, when the group got to the Black Sea, we, we made sure to take uh, this picture uh, just to commemorate. <laughs> For Arnold, it's an ocean, idiot. You know, we just kept going. Are there waves in the Black Sea? What a, are you a complete moron? Like, did you fall out of the stupid tree and hit every branch on the way down? What is wrong with you? Right? And that's kind of, I think some of us who are kind of feeling like, hey, if you really have faith, you don't ever have doubts. That's kind of what we expect Jesus to say. And that's kind of how we treat people with doubts. 
unless you see my side. Idiot. Doubter. Come on. That's what we think. That's not Jesus. He accommodates it. He volunteers it. See, these other disciples saw Jesus' wounds. Thomas actually now gets to touch them. His doubts create the opportunity for him to go even closer. That's how much Jesus doesn't despise doubts. But here's the key thing. Doubts aren't despised by Jesus, but we have to take them to Jesus. So often we take our doubts everywhere but Jesus. We take them to other people. We take them to pastors. We take them to scholars. We take them to books. We take them to articles. We take them to podcasts. And we never take them to him. And then we wonder, God, where are you? And he's going, well, you've asked everybody but me. And, and so we have to go to Jesus with our doubts. He's not going to go, What? And he's not going to go, oh, it's an ocean, idiot. He's going to say, I get it. Here's a fifth consideration, is that doubts invite faith in addition to reason. Doubts invite faith in addition to reason. So Jesus shows him his hands, uh, shows him his side, and then look at what he says at the end of verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So get this, Jesus gives him a sensible answer, Jesus gives him a reasonable explanation, put your hand here, and he says, believe. It's both. See, sometimes we think, well, I'll believe if you give me the good answer. But, but then we get the good answer, and we go, well, but wait, I got another question. But wait, I got another question. Because our heart is looking for something, and here's what you find, you see what you look for. If you are just looking for all the reasons it doesn't make sense, and that's what you're looking for over and over and over, guess what? Spoiler alert. Predict the future. It'll never make sense. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you a sensible reason. I'm going to give you a sensible explanation, and I'm going to invite you to trust me. Believe in me. That, that's that word, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's the word that's used all throughout the rest of the New Testament for faith. Trust me. Rely on me. Depend on me. We see what we look for. Remember uh, some years ago, there was a pastor that, at the church that I was at before, and he was telling me about how he had taken a group of uh, people to this uh, church conference, and they were going, and they were you know, attending the main sessions and attending breakout sessions and experiencing the volunteers at the church that were hosting it. And, at the, uh, and he told them on the front, he goes, now listen, here's what we're going to do tonight after, uh, after today's kind of meetings and everything. We're going to have some time back at the hotel, and we're going to just debrief. And, and so I want you to pay attention. What did you see? What did you notice? And so they experienced the conference. They go through it. And they meet at the end of the day, and they start saying, well, I noticed the restrooms were dirty. And I noticed that this speaker, you know, his third point didn't really make sense. And I noticed that, you know, this breakout guy went way too long. And I noticed that the audio in that one room was kind of fuzzy. And, and so here's, here's what my pastor mentor said. He goes, guys, I didn't ask you for your criticisms. I asked you for your observations. But you see what you look for. Maybe 
just the pain of what you're going through has caused you to kind of be in this place where all you look at is the bad stuff. And so I think Jesus is saying here, hey, keep praying, keep trusting, believe me, look for ways to trust that my answers might make sense. Here's a sixth consideration, is that doubts often lead to strengthened faith. Here's a quote, my life of ease and comfort has produced rich dependence on God. That's a quote from nobody ever. No one ever has said, well, my life of ease and comfort has produced rich dependence on God. Nobody says that. What what produces rich dependence on God? It's suffering. It's questions. It's doubts. It's dark nights of the soul. It's God, what are you doing? That's, That's what produces rich dependence on God. That's what produces rich relationship with God. If you think that you're just gonna kind of waltz your way, happy dance into proximity with Jesus, You don't understand Jesus. And so here's what's fascinating to me is that Thomas's doubts lead him actually to have a stronger faith than anyone in the rest of the group. Look at verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This, friends, is the first explicit, uh, the, the first explicit confession of Jesus' deity in the whole Bible. It's the first time that they have explicitly said, up to this point they've said, well, we believe you're the son of God. We believe that you're from God. We believe you're the light of the world. We believe that you're the bread of life, right? All these images that definitely point to Jesus as God. But here, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And you just have to think, okay, sometimes it's your deep doubts, it's your deep questions, it's your deep wrestling, that if you keep trusting and if you keep waiting, And if you keep taking it to Jesus, it might actually lead to you having a more resilient, a stronger, a more enduring and real faith. So so friends, keep doing the work of wrestling it down. I was meeting with a guy this week who uh, just moved out here a couple months ago. He's in his uh, 60s and has been kind of coaching pastors for the last uh, numbers of years. And um, he actually went to he, for the last 40 years, he lived in Champaign-Urbana where I went to college and uh, our paths may have crossed actually. He knew a lot of people I knew, but we were sitting down and he was just kind of telling me about uh, what he does. And I was kind of asking him, hey, what are some of the things that you see as you work with pastors, as you try to care for uh, people who are caring for people? Um, and, and one of the big things he said is he said, you know, one of the big lessons I've learned is that you have to do the painful part first. A lot of pastors are hurting A lot of people are hurting. And if you don't deal with the painful part first, it's gonna pop up later. And a lot of times these things emerge and we don't know what to do with it and it feels uncomfortable and so we just sort of stuff it down and we don't do anything with it. And no, 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 you gotta do the painful part first. And it made me think of an expression that I heard which was, if you have to eat a live frog, bite its head off first. Right, imagine that you have to eat a live frog. Are you gonna nibble at its legs? No, you're gonna, we're gonna end this now. We're gonna deal with the big thing now. Deal with the painful thing now. That's, I really don't wanna do that for sure, but if I have to eat a live frog, I'm biting its head off first. And, and so here's what I wanna tell you. Don't just stuff your doubts down. 
Don't just stuff your questions down. Don't, don't, just, don't just gloss over it. Don't just give it all the silver lining with, well, I just got to believe. Well, I just got to let go and let God. Well, I just got to, you know, find some inspirational stuff on Instagram to make me feel better for a minute. Deal with it. Take it to the Lord. Bring it to your pastors. Bring it to your RC leader. Bring it to your men's fight club or your women's table leader. Bring it to your student mentors. Bring those doubts to people and bring them to Jesus and try to do the work of wrestling it down. Bite the head off first. And what I think you'll find is that your faith will emerge stronger. Here's a seventh consideration about how to deal with our doubts. Number seven, doubts necessitate trusting the eyewitnesses. After Thomas's confession, verse 28, look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other things. This is now John just writing. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm encouraged just by what Jesus says to Thomas about us. Do you see what he said about us? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us Jesus knows it's harder for us. Jesus knows it's harder to just trust him by faith, not by sight. He knows that's more difficult, so he says there's blessing in it. That's wonderful, this is amazing. Jesus even is impressed with people who trust him when they didn't see him. Jesus knows it's harder. But but what is gonna help us to believe even if we didn't see, it's this, if we trust the eyewitnesses who saw. Which is why John says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. Here's why, in other words, there was a lot more Jesus did that a lot of us saw, but, but I wrote these, and I saw these, and I was there, and I smelled the smells, and I saw the sights, and I heard the sounds, and I saw the reactions, and I felt the temperature change. I was there for this. Believe me. And I just want to encourage you, don't be one of those people. There are some people in life, do you know these people, who just, they won't learn from others' mistakes. They have to pay the dumb tax themselves. Right? And everyone around them is like, I told you. I told you I've walked down that road. Right? So some of us, this happens with our children. You go, you know, when I was your age, and they already stopped listening. (laughs) And what you want to tell them is like, listen, I paid a dumb tax. It was really high. I'd like you to not pay the same dumb tax. They go, nope, I'm going to be my own person. All right, pay it yourself. And, and, and what, what John is saying is he writes here, what Jesus is saying is he says, hey, I want you to trust these eyewitnesses. And what he's saying is, hey, don't feel like you have to have all the answers yourself. You got to look at someone else. Right? Thomas was in a position where he could say, well, unless I touch his wounds, I'll never believe. Listen, if you say that, You're not going to get it. This isn't an option available to you. If that's the bar you set, Jesus, unless you return right now and show me your wounds and your side, and I get to put my hands inside, I'll never believe. Well, guess what? You'll never believe. 
Because Jesus is not going to answer that prayer, not because he doesn't like you, not because he likes Thomas more than he likes you, but because he's saying, you don't need that to believe. I gave you what you need to believe. Here it is. But trust it. In the presence of the eyewitnesses, in the presence of the disciples, friends, there are good answers for our questions. Now listen, they're not all sufficiently amazing answers, but there are real answers. So talk to somebody, get, get help, get research done. Let's trust the eyewitnesses. And here's the last consideration about our doubts, is that doubts must ultimately rest on the right question. Right, if you, if you get what you look for, and the, and the quality of the answers you get are only driven by the quality of the questions you have, then it becomes really important to ask, are you asking the right questions? And in the midst of all your doubts, in the midst of my doubts, here's what I want to tell you. There is a key question. It's the question that I think begins to unlock answers to all the other questions. It's the, it's the core question. It's the key question. It's the crucial question. You have lots of other questions that feel more pressing. You have lots of other questions that you hear lots of controversy about. This may be a question you haven't thought a great deal about, but I'm telling you, it's the most important question. This is the question. Doubts must ultimately rest on this question. What's the question? Did Jesus rise from the dead? That's the question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, where did God come from? Well, I don't totally know. But if Jesus rose from the dead, that changes how important that question is. God, how can you allow all this suffering to take place in the world? It's an important question. It's a crucial question. It's a difficult question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? If he did, then I don't fully understand how all that other stuff works but he must be doing something in it. This is the key question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? This is what all of chapter 20 is about, is saying, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, and he's showing it to you. He's showing it by appearing to eyewitnesses that no one would even trust in court. He's showing it to you by including details that you would never include if you were just making this story up. He shows it to you by including how doubtful and disbelieving and, and dumb the disciples are, which if they're just writing this for a power grab, why would they do that? This whole thing is written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you would have life in his name. And get this, that doesn't mean all the other questions are irrelevant. It does mean they're secondary. Did Jesus rise from the dead? It's the question. That's the question. Because if he rose from the dead and he's giving you life and forgiveness of sins through his name, then you can trust him then he's good, then your suffering and your pain and your difficulty is not the end of the story. He has a new beginning. If Jesus rose from the dead, then someday he's going to make all things new. And there's a promise that as bad as it gets here, and it gets really, really bad here, just like it got really, really bad for Jesus, there's hope. This is the question. 
as we head into this Easter season, don't forget this question. You got to answer this question. Okay, you have doubts about the history of the church, and you have doubts about the problem of evil, and you have doubts about, well, what about these controversial things related to sexuality or related to gender or related to the church and how corrupt it gets by politics, and all those are important, but there's a more important question. Did he rise from the dead? And John has written to say, I was there. And he rose. He rose indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how patient you are with our unbelief and with our doubts. Thank you that you provide answers and that you provide help and that you provide comfort even in the midst of these questions and these difficulties. And so, God, I pray now, God, that as we come to the table, as we um, have a tangible experience by your Spirit of your presence with us, that it would be your presence with us by the Spirit because of the resurrection of Christ that helps us to keep going, that helps us to keep trusting, that helps us to keep depending, even when there are so many things that don't make sense to us. God, in the middle of all this, help us to trust your heart. And you showed your heart for us when you raised Christ from the dead. We pray in his name. Amen.